In part one of our conversation with Kat Demery, environmental engineer at CU Boulder, and Sam Struthers, field coordinator and data manager for the Ross Lab at Colorado State University, we talked about their expansive water quality monitoring project to better understand the effects of land management practices and catastrophic events such as wildfires on the health of the Yampa and Cache rivers, two critical Colorado waterways. In part two, we continue the conversation and learn more about the benefits and challenges of continuous water monitoring, the collaborative nature of the project, and how similar public-private partnerships are becoming more common as more stakeholders seek to protect shared water resources. So Carrie, I want to talk specifically about the benefits of continuous monitoring for a minute. Um, so back when we talked with Professor Ross, it had been a little, I think, a little bit more than a year since there had been a disastrous fish kill in the Poudre River. And after months of investigation, the city wasn't really able to pinpoint a particular cause of the die-off. So obviously, had they had a lot of real-time water quality data at the time from that part of the river, they might have had better luck figuring out what had happened. Um, so I'd actually like to hear from the three of you on both the benefits and the challenges of real-time continuous data collection. Um, you know, starting with you, Carrie, actually, what, what do you hear out there? Yeah, so I would say the number one benefit of collecting real-time data is that you get the true story about what's going on in your system. It's If you think about these discrete samples or these spot samples that people collect, it's just a simple snapshot of what's going on at that instant in time, but you're not really seeing the full picture. So you might see that your dissolved oxygen levels during that snapshot in time are perfectly fine. So we would never attribute a fish kill to you know, the, what's going on in the system based on that period of data. But if we had a continuous monitor, maybe we could see that there was, you know, a decrease in dissolved oxygen after our sample had been taken that then caused, you know, these these fish kills and other, you know, terrible ecological impacts later on. Um, so the more data points that we actually have, the better we can fill in those gaps to tell the entire story about what's going on. So that to me is the biggest benefit of real-time data. Now, of course, there are a lot of challenges as well um, with real-time data. Uh, of course, Sam and Kat have already talked about fouling and, you know, how they're going to have to look at their data and, you know, maybe delete some of this data to not throw off their models that they're doing. Um, so you will still have to make site visits to really maintain your equipment uh, from that perspective. You also have to trust that nobody's going to take your equipment. So there's always the worry about vandalism and theft as well. But I, I really think that the benefits far outweigh the challenges and the risks that go along with um, with real-time monitoring. And I'd like to hear from Sam, since you, of course, have a lot of experience with real-time monitoring as well. This isn't your first rodeo. So what do you think the benefits and challenges are? Yeah, I'd say the way that it's kind of been described to me is that uh, doing a grab sample is like going to the doctor's office. Having a sensor in the river is like having a heart rate monitor. And so you can actually, you know, measure you know, how am I kind of doing for an extended period of time versus getting all of those nitty gritty details out. Um, continuous monitoring also allows us to ask a lot of interesting questions of the data. Um, one of our other focuses is going to be looking at stream metabolism, um, which you can measure by the, the diurnal swings in dissolved oxygen. 
And so we can ask a lot of interesting questions um, only because we have continuous monitoring. Um, also, some of our sites uh, may not be safe. So during a flash flood on a burn scar, um, turbidity can be really high and honestly, it can be very dangerous to be up the canyon. So having a sensor in place allows us to capture those events while safely being at home. Excellent. Kat, you're doing a combination now of discrete samples and continuous monitoring. And I think this is your first experience with this continuous monitoring with in-situ type equipment. So what have you seen so far? Yeah, Carrie, I think you and Sam have touched on a lot of the points that we have noticed already. Um, it's definitely a huge advantage to have continuous data. Um, when you're building out a model, having a lot of data to validate and test that model is essential. So being able to have all these different points um, that we can, um, we can validate with our grab samples um, has been really neat as we are building that out. It's also, like Sam said, you're better able to capture events as they're happening in real time. So being able to see the actual effects of, you know, something like a wildfire um, would be difficult to understand um, fully with just grab samples. Whereas if you have a monitor in the river, you can see what's happening. Um, as that event passes. And like you mentioned, of course, there are like challenges with that where you have to understand that not every data point is going to be completely accurate, that sometimes there will be fouling that happens. The other day I was I was up on, on the Yampa checking one of our sites and I had a, a crawfish crawl out of the, the tube <laughs> where our son was living um so you know there there it's real life <laughs> there are things that that live out there um and make their homes maybe on the sensors um but for the most part it's a real advantage to have this sort of equipment in the rivers to better understand how they are functioning in real time yeah so we can see the benefits are clear and while there are some challenges um but to be able to get that continuous stream of data that takes some infrastructure and some setup right so um i'm sure you both have some various stories from the what weeks months that it took to get these um these stations these installations in place but um give us a little of the detail what what did it take for the universities for your employers <laughs> and for you and your teams to actually get this done kat do you want to start yeah sure helen um so first of all it's a pleasure to be out on these rivers in the summertime in colorado the pooter the yampa they're beautiful wild places um and I feel like it's a real privilege to get to work on them. So when <laughs> you spend a lot of time in front of your computer, as a lot of us do, um, those days out in the fields where <laughs> you're setting up some of these deployments can be equally frustrating and also a lot of fun. Um, so we 
as we've mentioned before, these are this is expensive and valuable equipment. So we really want to make sure that it's secure and um, tamper resistant when we put it out in the field. So we spent a lot of time designing how we were going to deploy these setups. You want them to be secure. You don't want them to get washed away in high flows. Um, so like Sam's team, we a lot of times have drilled PVC pipes into rock um, and then housed the the songs and the view links um, in those. And that has worked fairly well um, for keeping them in the rivers. And Sam, how did it go for your teams? Yeah, so initially our project was, you know, just kind of funded by the city of Fort Collins and managed by random master students throughout the years. Um, so some of when I took the project over, some of the housings had kind of fallen into disrepair um, and also used much smaller pipe um, than was necessary. As we've upgraded to Aquatrol 700s, uh, we've had to also increase the size of pipe that we use to store um, the sand and Vulinkin. And so a lot of my work has been doing that kind of retrofitting. Um, we've also installed more sites up the canyon where the river is kind of a bit wilder. And so we've um, had to kind of think more about uh, where sites can be located and not get washed away. So a lot of drilling into rocks, which is pretty fun. <laughs> and now that they're in place, what's maintenance like? How often are you having to go up there? Yeah, so we calibrate uh, about once a month. Um, and then as we're checking HydroView, we'll go out and clean uh, about every two weeks, roughly. Sam, in-pipe telemetry is kind of a new system that a lot of people aren't really accustomed to. So tell us a little bit about how you've got the view link installed inside the pipe and how that's working for you. Yeah, so uh, In-Situ sells essentially like a well cap and a well dock. And so we will actually attach the well cap to the top of our PVC and then the well dock to the view link. And so, and we usually use uh, about 15 to 20 foot long pipes. Um, and they're, each setup is a little different, but we've essentially mounted it so that um, the top of the pipe will never be overtopped. Um, and so we kind of look at the bank or, you know, the bridge that we're at and make sure that we're going to be above uh, that high watermark. But having everything just perfectly housed in the pipe is really nice for, for us and, and the technicians that we work with. And you said for the sites that um, don't have very good cellular connection that you're also using the view link to then store the data um, that you can then download it from the, the SONs afterwards too? Yep. Yeah, at a few of our sites we have 700s. Um, I think in the future as we upgrade, we'll buy Aquatrol uh, 800s so that we can um, just sell flog when we're out of service. So Kat, what does it mean for UC Boulder to be the keeper of this data? So I wouldn't call us the keeper of this data. Maybe we're the collector of this data and the facilitator of it, but we really want to be collaborative in this project as much as possible. You know, we part of a project like this is to improve understanding of water quality um, in Colorado for all of the stakeholders involved um, on 
on this river, um, both the Yampa and the Pooter, working with Colorado State University and Sam's team and the Forest Service um, and the city of Fort Collins. And then on the Yampa, working with the city of Steamboat Springs, working with some of the local utilities um, like on Morrison Creek um, and then friends of the Yampa. Collecting all of this data, um, you know, we really want other stakeholders involved in these projects to be able to use it as well so that they can better understand what's happening on the rivers. So I wouldn't call us the keepers of the data as much as the collectors and the disseminators, um, but we're looking to collaborate um, with as many stakeholders as possible on a project like this, um, including private partnerships like the company Veridi, um, a startup out of Boulder that is involved in both the Yampa and the Pooter projects and is kind of behind the data science of some of this project. So in that case, with that company, they're looking at data from both rivers. Is that correct? And what is their ultimate goal? Veridi's interest here is looking at the big picture of how can we better incentivize utilities to adopt green infrastructure practices, such as riparian restoration, planting trees for shade, or doing land management practices such as livestock exclusion to improve water quality versus installing gray infrastructure, such as tertiary treatment plants, um, reverse osmosis plants, which along with producing emissions, both in their building and their operations and maintenance, cost a lot of money um, compared to some of these gray, uh, green infrastructure practices. Um, and Veridi is looking at trying to tap into carbon credits and climate finance to add additional incentives to both local utilities and to landowners to adopt these practices versus building more and more treatment facilities. And Sam, I know, you know, the the Pooter project started as a collaboration amongst the city, the university, and in situ, but it's, it sounds like it's expanded to include more partners, more stakeholders. Yeah, one of uh, CSU's goals with this project is to essentially have established sites along the Pooter that other studies can now be based off of. Um, so we want to expand the um, our partnership with either CPRW, which is the coalition for the Puda River watershed, um, other researchers at CSU, or any other private uh, public partners in Fort Collins. Because um, let's say you wanted to design a study about uh, light penetration and fish, you know, for example, and instead of buying a hundred thousand dollars worth of sensors and installing them and doing all the work that you have to do to maintain these things. Um, now a fish person can just spend $10,000 to, uh, you know, hire some technicians to do the, the fish work that they want to do and have uh, essentially a very clean and reliable data set that we can provide. So Carrie, as you're out in your travels, um, not only around the country, but around the world, 
when you hear about these this this type of partnership, these kinds of partnerships and all these different stakeholders, is that something you see typically? And and, and how do they take shape and, and are they essential to getting networks like this put together? I think we're seeing an increase in the number of partnerships between different cities and counties and municipalities. So it, it used to be that a city would act very independently and wouldn't necessarily think to use data from another another city or another county, for example. But I think as time goes on and there's more data available, everybody wants to have good quality of water. So I think that data sharing across borders is, is becoming more and more necessary. So these partnerships that Kat and Sam are talking about, where we're looking at something upstream and we're looking at something downstream and then even further downstream, and we have all of these cities and groups in between, I think that's becoming more common because everybody recognizes that, um, you know, our water, of course, flows downstream. So whatever quality of water we're putting out is going to affect somebody else. So I I love this idea of partnership and this idea of sharing data because it's only going to benefit, again, everybody further downstream. Yeah, and we're going to be really excited to see what comes out of this data in terms of the modeling and the decision making, the policy making, um, how the university puts it to use, how the cities put it to use. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, well, before we let you go, there's something that we always like to um, hear from our guests, and uh, it's about your own personal journey and how you got involved in this work. And so, um, Sam, let me start with you. Um, what sparked your interest in water watershed science? Yeah, so initially when I started uh, school at CSU, I was in environmental engineering, uh, which is uh, more similar to civil engineering than I uh, thought. And after learning that, I realized I didn't want to build uh, big objects and big infrastructure. Um, I wanted to study natural systems and try to find ways to improve them without building large things. Um, and so that's kind of how I found watershed science. And also I, I love the data science side of things and trying to figure out what's going on in a sea of numbers. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. The puzzle. Kat, what about you? I grew up on the front range. So these rivers are very personal to me. Um, I grew up tubing down the pooter um, in the summertime and fly fishing on the Yampa and skiing up in Steamboat Springs. Um, so having the opportunity to work on preserving and restoring these rivers is a real gift. Um, I feel so lucky every day that I get to do work on a place that I love and that is my home. And what advice would you have for somebody, you know, just coming out of high school or whatever, who has an interest in, in, in this kind of work and in this, in this field, uh, any, any advice for them as you've followed your own paths? Um, I would say just to be open to all the opportunities that are out there. Um, the world is constantly changing. The climate is changing. There's such a need for 
creativity and imagination in these spaces to think about things differently um, than we've maybe been doing in the past. And so I, I think for young people, I, I'm inspired by them um, to be able to think about things differently and to come into these problems maybe with a different perspective than people who have been working in this field for a long time have. Um, and so I guess my advice would just be, um, be willing to just like trust yourself and to speak up and um, not every thing you think of will be a groundbreaking solution, but um, we need innovation and imagination in these spaces now more than ever, I think. That's great. Sam, anything to add to that? Not really, honestly, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I think just like thinking of a system as a whole thing and it's many parts working together or against, you know, um, that creates what we see on a given day. So, you know, what you see might actually be the culmination of a thousand things. So that's what I like to think about. <laughs> that's great. Well, this has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much. It's exciting to hear about a project of this scope, the kind of data that you're going to be collecting. And like I said, we're going to be really curious to see what comes out of uh, all this work. And it's going to be ongoing, right? There's, It's not like uh, you just let it sit now. There's a lot to do, I'm sure. So thank you so much, both of you, for joining us on Aquapod. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much, Helen. Thanks, so much. Thanks Terry. Appreciate it. You're listening to Aquapod, brought to you by In-Situ. Please listen, share, and help us spread the word. This episode was produced by Helen Taylor and Carrie Caslow, with a big assist from Josiah Homeland and I25 Productions. We look forward to bringing you more water monitoring stories from the field. Until then, take care out there. <laughs>